Well, good morning, Cross Point Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody doing well? It's great to see you here today. It's so exciting to, to just be here with you on this it's a rainy day, misty day, wet day, but uh, it's good to see you here today with us. And uh, I tell you, I just want to celebrate a few things with you this morning before we dive into God's Word. Uh, I think things that are just really worthy of celebration. Uh, first of all, I want to tell you that uh, our uh, God is doing just incredible things in the life of the church. We know that. We, we, we hear the stories each and every week with our children or whether it's with our youth or, or in our small groups or whatever. But I want to just celebrate this with you, that, uh, that one of the things that we have always believed in as a church is the reality that we are called to make disciples and to raise those disciples up to equip the saints to do the work of ministry and ultimately send them out. And so, you know, we do that in a lot of different ways. We plant new campuses, we plant new works and, and, and things like that. But I want to share with you this morning that our equipment campus is really doing uh, what uh, God has, has called us to do, and that is in reaching that community. Uh, the staff there and the church there have been involved in the last couple of weeks with some, some pretty big uh, outreach strategies and, and just going out into the community and getting involved. And, and they've been seeing uh, two to three families a week just come and visit the church. And so that's been very exciting to see a whole lot of new families come into the life of that church. And I just wanted you to know and us to celebrate together that Equipment Campus is working and and, and God is moving in the life of that church. And then the other thing, before we just praise God and thank Him for all that He's doing, I want to tell you about is, is also we have with us our very own Tim Allred and his wife Robin and their family, and they're, they're joining us this morning all the way from Eagles River, Alaska. They went out from here uh, a while back and planted a new work in, in Eagles River, Alaska. And uh, I was talking to Tim uh, this past week, and he told me that when they left Alaska, it was 19 degrees and snowing hard. And uh, I just thought, man, the challenges you have in planning a church, you've got to have a big truck to get to church, you know, or a snowplow, something, and um, dodge moose and all kind of things. But uh, uh, the challenges they have in reaching people in Alaska. But one of the great things that we celebrated together was the reality that they are, they are reaching people in Alaska with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're seeing lives changed. And I just want to celebrate what Jesus is doing in those two places, because that is, that is just wonderful. That's what God has called us to do, is to be disciple makers, to reach our communities with the gospel, and, 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 and bring them the hope that is found in Christ Jesus. And so I'm just thankful for the reality that God's working in those two places, aside from working here among our faith family as well. Also, I want to say that this week, we celebrate Veterans Day. And uh, Wednesday, uh, November the 11th is Veterans Day, and so we want to celebrate that together today. We're going we're gonna to be hosting a, um, a luncheon, a Veterans Day luncheon, something we do each year. And if you're a veteran, we want to invite you to be a part of that luncheon. You can register our next steps or go online. But what we want to do this morning is this, invite you, if you are a veteran uh, of the armed services or you're currently serving in the armed services, would you please stand today so we can just say thank you for your service, and your commitment to our country. Amen. And so what a beautiful thing to have these men and women stand up and just say, say thank you today for, for your great service to our country. I tell you, what a sacrifice you've made uh, in so many different ways. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be diving into God's Word. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to step right into it 
And I believe God has an incredible message. You know, we were talking earlier, Gabe and I were down here in front, and, and, and he was saying, I'm ready to hear the sermon. And I said, well, let's just, uh, let's just hope it's good. And then I said, well, we know this truth, that God's word never returns void. Amen? So I'll just bring a lot of scripture. I won't say a whole lot, and we'll, uh, we know that that'll, that'll penetrate our hearts and our minds and, and, and bring about life change. Amen? So let's pray, and let's ask God to just bless us here this morning. Pray with me, if you will. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we do thank you for your presence in our life, and we thank you for the opportunity that we can celebrate today your great work among us. God, not only in this place, but in Quitman and in Alaska and all over this world, God, we have the opportunity to see you at work and in such incredible ways. And Lord, just know that you are continuing to change lives each and every day. Father, we thank you for those who have served our country in so many ways, and Lord, even those that are currently serving. And Lord, today, we even know that there are some that are not with us this morning because they're uh, overseas serving in other countries, Lord. And so we pray for our soldiers, our men and women who are, who are away, and uh, God, just keep them safe and be with them and encourage them and lift them up during this time while they're away from their families. Be with their families who remain here. And Father, we just thank you for your presence, uh, God, in this place how you continue to change lives. Lord, even as we were singing this morning and hearing the children just shout out and their praises to you, Father, it's just so encouraging knowing that you are working in mighty ways in this place. So, Father, we pray that as we prepare our hearts and minds for, for the reading and the preaching of your word, as we prepare to, to, to go to your word and just be encouraged, Father, I pray that you would help us to set aside every distraction. And you'd help us, Lord, to be focused on the author and the perfecter of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, Lord, to celebrate him today through everything that we say and we do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the things that's pretty easy to recognize as you read through Scripture is the reality that, that authentic Christianity, in other words, genuine Christianity, is sharply contrasted against really a, a self-consumption, what some people might call a self-consumption Christianity. In other words, a self-feeding Christianity. You know, what, what we know is as we read through the Scriptures and we, we begin to see what the Gospels have to say to us about what authentic Christianity is, we begin to realize that authentic Christianity describes Jesus' intention with us as followers of Christ Jesus and his intentions for the church. In other words, what we see him teaching and what we see him preaching and what we see the, the scriptures, the letters that Paul wrote and all the many different uh, passages of scripture throughout the uh, passages of, of truth throughout the scripture that we, that we read and study each and every week is we see that, that, that there's great contrast between what is real Christianity, authentic Christianity, and what is this sort of self uh, imposing Christianity or self-consuming or self-consumption Christianity. And so this morning we want to look at a passage of Scripture that I think is going to do just that. It's going to bring us this sort of sharp contrast between these two. I think one of the things that we, we recognize when we see those people who, who give their life to Christ in the Scriptures and get saved and, and we've read the stories where they want to be baptized right away. They just want to live for Jesus. Uh, we, we, we're going to talk about in a moment the life of, of the Apostle Paul. But then we see that contrast with people like the rich young ruler who, 
who come and Jesus, and he has this idea in his mind. He, he sort of thinks that he's, he's, he's arrived. And, and even when he asks Jesus what it takes to, to enter into the gates of heaven, he says, well, uh, Jesus tells him, you know, and, and he, says, he says, yeah, yeah, I've, I've done all that. And so it's, it's almost like he's, he's got this, this wrong misunderstanding of what Christianity really is. And then when Jesus says, well, sell everything you got and give it to the poor and follow me, we see this rich young ruler says, you know what? That's just too much to ask. And he walks away. And so we see this tremendous contrast between authentic Christianity and something else throughout Scripture. And so this morning, I want us to be looking at a passage found in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. You know, I have a, I have a good friend, a close friend, who, who uh, I, I remember one day when he called me and he got saved and and, and he, he called me, and he was just so excited about what Jesus had done in his life. And he began to share with me the, the just the incredible uh, nature of salvation. He was so excited. You know, we had been praying for him, and we had been sharing the gospel, and many others had been uh, talking to him about Jesus. And so when, when that day came, when he, he was celebrating Jesus in his life, he picked up the phone, and he called me. And he began to share all about what God was doing in his life. I remember he immediately went into a small group. He got involved in discipleship. And, and he was given opportunities to, to tell his testimony to different groups. And I remember he joined a Christian band. He was, a, he, he was musically inclined. So he joined a Christian band. And he was, he was doing all these things. He was living for Jesus. And I remember we had many conversations about Jesus. We had many conversations about how passionate he was for Jesus. And then one day, I remember the conversations began to change, and he was, he was less happy as an individual. And suddenly he was living his life, and, and, and he was discontent with the way life was going. He just, he just seemed miserable as he, as he called and as he had these conversations. And I remember there came a day when he finally called, and he talked about how unhappy he was with his wife, and he thought he was not in love with her anymore. And then he began to hate his job, and it just seemed that he was just so miserable as a person and and I encouraged him the best I could and we 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 prayed for him and we said listen this isn't the Jesus way you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps you need to place your eyes on the author and the perfecter of your faith the Lord Jesus Christ because he can bring you peace and and yet he just seemed to be so fed up with this thing called Christianity I remember the day when he left the church and he didn't want anything to do with church in fact he moved into a place where he began to blame the church and suddenly he began to pursue his own goals and his own interests and his own pleasures and left everything that he had celebrated for so long behind. That's a terrible story, I know. But it's also one that's ever so common in the life of the church. In fact, that story could be a story that we have to tell about our friends and our neighbors and our family. That is too often the story that we hear. And I, and I think about that story. I think about what all is happening. And, and, and who am I to judge whether or not he knows Jesus or not? I don't know. Maybe, maybe God will turn him around and bring him back. And, and I know God is pursuing him. I know God loves him unconditionally. I know all that. But the reality is I wonder if that is really what Jesus had in mind when he instituted the church, when he instituted Christianity, when he, when he changed our lives, is this authentic Christianity or is this something else? And so this morning we want to talk about 
what it means to be an authentic believer in Jesus Christ and to be transformed or redeemed by the power and presence of God in our life. The message is titled Transformed, hashtag transformed. And we're looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. I I was looking at the definition of transformed because I felt like it was something we, we... we might ought to do as we prepare to dive into God's word together. And it it said this, it said, to make a significant or dramatic change in form, appearance, or character. And you know, as I look at that definition, I begin to realize that that's exactly what happens when Jesus comes into our life, when it's for real, when it's genuine, when it's authentic, when Jesus comes into our life, it doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we're not still in a place of of being sanctified by the Holy Spirit of God. We talked about that last week, being sanctified and and, and growing and maturing as a believer. But, But what happens is there is transformation that takes place when Jesus comes into our life. All through the gospel, it speaks of this. And I remember last week as we started this chapter in verse, in verse 1, just reading that first verse, and we read these words, and I want to read them as sort of a springboard into the message that we're going to be looking at today, or the text that we're looking at today. But, but you'll remember this if you were here. It, it, it said this, verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And for those of us who are believers in Christ Jesus, that's worthy of celebration, isn't it? That's worthy of praise. That is one of the most encouraging, and we talked about this, it's one of the most encouraging texts in all of Scripture, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, those of us who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ, we celebrated last week that truth together because it is so Wonderful to know that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I look at this. And we can't, we can't move away from this verse without recognizing this one very powerful word that's in verse 1. And that word is now. There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And so right away, we begin to sense that, that, the, that Paul, as he's writing to the, the, the church that gathers there in Rome, as he is writing to this local gathering, that he is drawing sharp contrast. He is basically presenting to them a before and after. There was maybe before, but there's not now. And so we begin to recognize that as we read through the Scripture. And then we get to verse 5. And we begin to see this sharp contrast between authentic Christianity and self-consumption Christianity as he reveals the truth in verses 5 through 8. Read this with me, if you will, this morning. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 through 8, it says this. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in flesh cannot please God. And so here we have this passage of Scripture 
that basically gives us a sharp contrast between what is real and what is genuine and what is authentic as, as far as being a follower of Christ Jesus and in the Spirit and, and, and led by God versus that which is not. And we see the differences here. I mean, it's, it's not hard to see the differences as we look into this. And we, we read this text and we begin to realize that basically this text is pointing out two very real truths to us this morning. And I want to give you these this morning as we look into this. Here's the first truth. That life in the Spirit thinks differently. Life in the Spirit thinks differently. Look at this with me, if you will. In verse 5 and 6, it says this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. In other words, the mind, for those who are yet unredeemed, or those that are unredeemed, those who don't know Christ, those who aren't living by the Spirit, their mind is on the flesh. Their mind is on self, selfishness and, and things of the self, things of the world, worldly pleasures, those kinds of things. But then the contrast to that is in verse 5, the mind is thinking of things in the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit Their mind, it says, are set on the things of the Spirit. In other words, the things of God, heavenly things, the glorious nature of God, the the, the theological things that we know and and need to know as believers and followers of Christ Jesus. The, The heart and the soul and also the mind of someone who is an authentic follower of Christ Jesus thinks about the things of God. And so there's a sharp contrast that's being given to us. There's an old saying that I once heard that said this, the man is as the mind thinks. The man, the man is as the mind thinks. In other words, the mind is a powerful tool. The mind is, is that which forges thought and leads us to reason. The mind is how we think. The mind is, is the source of our intellect. And so here we begin to see that that what Paul is saying, he says, listen, if you're an authentic believer, if you're a true follower of Christ Jesus, then then you should be thinking differently than you used to think as, as someone who didn't follow Christ. Your mind was on the things of the world. Now, as an authentic believer in Christ Jesus, your mind should be on the things of Christ. And so we see this sharp contrast being, being said here. I love what Romans 12, 2 says. Paul, as as we get to that chapter, and we will later, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I love this, this part in the middle here. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In other words, God's one of God's greatest gifts to us is the, is the ability that we have to think for ourselves, to reason, to process information, to consider the gospel, to consider everything that Jesus is, to consider everything that God would have for us. And it's with the transforming of the mind, it's when the, when the mind begins to, to transition from thinking about flesh and thinking about the world to thinking about the things of God, that God begins to reveal to us His will for our life, and we are able to think about that instead of these other things. And so what Paul would say here is this, is the life of the Spirit thinks differently. It just thinks differently. It is focused on Jesus. You know, in Scripture, there's many passages that that come to my mind when I think about, about 
the mind being transformed. But, you know, when Paul's writing this letter to the Romans, he, he, he's no doubt writing being inspired by the Holy Spirit of God as he, as, he, as he writes this letter to the Romans. There's no doubt he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. But the, the other reality is this, is that as he's writing this letter, he's also speaking from experience. We all, most of us here today probably know the story of, uh, of Paul and his conversion. We read about it in Acts chapter 9. And it's in Acts chapter 9 that we, re- we read that, that Paul wasn't always called Paul. He was at one time called Saul. And Saul was an evil man. Saul was a man who was set out to destroy Christianity. He was a man who, who was a very religious man. He was a very educated man. He was a very smart man. But his mind was not on the things of God. His mind was on the things of the world and his own religion, the thing that he had made it out to be. And so here this man is out to destroy Christianity. And it says in the scriptures that he was breathing threats and murder against Christians. This is who this man was. He was not a very nice man. He was a man who wanted to end or put an end to this thing called the way which was Christianity of their day. And then we read on and we see where Jesus encountered Saul or Saul encountered Jesus. And there was a, there was a conversion. There was a transformation it, where, where, where Jesus got a hold of his heart, soul, and mind and, and literally revealed himself to Saul in such a way that he became a man who was an authentic believer in Christ Jesus. And suddenly we see his mind begin to change. He's no longer thinking about how he can end Christianity. He's thinking about how he can advance Christianity, how he can live for Jesus. He was no longer thinking about ways he could kill believers. He was thinking about how he could disciple believers. And so his mind was beginning to change. It was transformed. And so this is one of the things that we see here. I love what Jesus says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. He's speaking to a lawyer and he says this. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with what? All your mind. With all your heart. With all your soul. And with all your mind, God gives us the ability to think for ourselves and to reason and to process the information that we have. But he also transforms our heart and our soul and our mind to where we can think about the things that he would have us think about. To know the will of God for our life. Here's the second thing that we see. Not only does life in the Spirit think differently, it also lives differently. You see, in the same verse, in verse 5, we see this passage here where in verse 5 it says, For those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the, uh, excuse me, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now look at verse 8 with me, if you will. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In other words, if you're living by the flesh, if you're living according to the worldly desires, if you're living an unredeemed life, an unrestored life, a a life that has yet to been transformed by the power and the presence and the blood of Christ, if you are not an authentic believer in Christ Jesus, there is nothing you can do to please God. Paul says what you do when you are living by the Spirit, as you live to 
please God. You live to live for God. You live in pursuit of God and the righteousness of Christ and the holiness of God. And these are the things that you hope to to have applied to your life as you grow and mature and transition from a spiritual babe to a maturing disciple and ultimately as a co-laborer who is intent on advancing the kingdom of God by proclaiming the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ. And so our minds are not only things that are transformed as a disciple, but our life is transformed. We desire to live a life that is drastically different than what it once was. I love Paul's letter to Titus. You know, there was two guys in the scripture that Paul really sort of admired. They were younger pastors and preachers, and, and he, he wrote letters to them. One was Timothy. The other one was Titus. And I, I love the passage that we read in Titus chapter 3 because I, I, I just think it just resonates so deeply with, with who we are as believers in Christ Jesus. This is basically a testimony that Paul is, is reminding Titus of. I love this passage. It was one of the ones that I, I preached when, when I was at seminary. It, it was in, in the first day that somebody asked me to come out and fill a pulpit. This is the passage that I preached. I love this passage. But Paul is writing to Titus, and he says this in chapter 3. I won't read the whole chapter to you. It's really good, but you can go back and do that. But in chapter 3, verse 3, it says this. Paul writes these words. He says, for we ourselves were once foolish. He's speaking to this young pastor, and he, it's almost as if he says to Titus, hey, Titus, you remember the old days? You remember how we used to run? You remember how we used to be? You remember how we, what we used to do? You remember how we used to live our life? He says this, he says, we ourselves were once foolish. We were disobedient. We were led astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And so Paul says to Titus, he says, remember the good the days? He's not saying remember the good old days. He's not saying that. He's saying you remember how we used to be before Jesus came into our life? Do you remember how we used to be before God in all that he is saved us by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. You remember those days? We were living our life being hated by others and hating other people. We were living our life, uh, lives of, of lies and sin. And I mean, it was just foolishness. And then we see here in verse four, but, but all of that changed when Jesus came into our life. He says, this is who we used to be. And then he says in verse four, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. Don't you remember that, Titus? He saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I love that. He says, Titus, we used to be this, but today we're this. We used to be chasing after our flesh and chasing after the world. Today we are pursuing Christ and the righteousness of God and the holiness of God. We are living not because of anything we did, 
not because of anything that, that we accomplish. It's not by our own works that we are doing this. It's because God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son who would go to the cross and die a horrible death to be buried in a borrowed tomb only to conquer death by rising victoriously from the grave for your sin and for mine. You remember that, Titus? How many of you remember that day in your life? How many of you have this story in your life? How many of you celebrate this story in your life? This is who I used to be, but that's not who I am today. Authentic Christianity says we live for a different cause. Authentic Christianity says we don't live anymore for self. We don't live anymore for pleasure. We don't live anymore for worldliness. We pursue godly things. We pursue the righteousness of Christ. We set our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see all of this. It's simply amazing. In just a few moments I have left, I want to just share a few more things with you because I started jotting down the things that change when Christ comes into our life. What are those things that change? And And man, we could just go on and on. There's a lot of things that change about it. There's a lot of things that are transformed when when we are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, when, when we are redeemed, when we are restored, when we are made righteous through the works of Christ. There's a lot that changes. And authentic Christianity just reveals something about us that is much different. Here's, here's four of them. I wish I could had time to give them all to you, but, but here's, here's, a, here's four things that changes when, when Jesus comes into our life. The first one is this, our relationship with God. Our relationship with God. You see, here's the reality. The Scriptures teach us that outside of Jesus Christ, we are nothing more than enemies of God. You see, we in our unrighteousness are separated eternally from a holy and righteous God. The scripture says we're no better off than the enemies of God, those who hate God, those who, 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 who don't believe in God, those who don't want anything to do with God, that we are really in that same camp. But when Jesus comes into our life, everything changes. No longer are we now in an in a unrighteous or an unright relationship with God or an unright standing with God, but now we have been made righteous. We can now stand in the presence of a holy and righteous God, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done for us. And our relationship with God has radically changed because of Jesus. It has been transformed. Now we have the opportunity to not just be enemies of God, but to be children of God, to be heirs of God. We belong to him when Christ comes into our life. Here's another thing that changes about us. Well, let me read this, John 1, 12. I don't want to walk away from this, uh, but John 1, 12 says this, but to all of those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And we celebrate that this morning, don't we? As believers in Christ Jesus, we celebrate the reality that we are children of God. Amen. The other thing that changes is not only our relationship with God changes, but our leadership changes. You see, the, the reality is when outside of Jesus Christ, the only one that we're really following is self. We may follow others, but we're not following Jesus. But all that changes when when there is redemption, all of that changes when we are saved by grace. All of that changes when Jesus becomes Lord of our life. Our leadership changes because Jesus is not just the Savior of our world. 
of our life. He is now the Lord of our life. And so he is the one who we are now pursuing. He is the one who we are now following. You remember I mentioned earlier the the story of the rich young ruler. And he tells this rich young ruler, he says, sell everything you got, give it away to the poor. And what? He says, follow me. In other words, he says, "Let, let there be a different leader in your life other than you. That's what he says to him. And you know what the rich young ruler says to Jesus? It's so discouraging. He looks at Jesus and he says, that's just too much to ask. I like following me. And it says in the scripture that the rich young ruler walked away from Jesus in despair. You see, our leadership changes when we become an authentic follower of Christ Jesus. Jesus is our leader. Philippians 2 9 through 11 says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him, meaning Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is what? Not just Savior, but Lord. That Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Romans 10, 9 says it like this. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You see, there's a new leader in town. And his name is Jesus. The third thing that I I wrote down that, that changes when we come to know Christ is our quest. Our quest. In other words, our pursuit, our goals, the things that we go after, the things that we pursue, the journey that we take, all of that changes when Jesus becomes our leader because now we are following him and as authentic believers in Christ Jesus, we go where he leads. And so suddenly we are pursuing things that are much differently than the things that we pursued before. Our quest has changed. I love how Hebrews chapter 6 spells this out. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, it says this. It says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. I love how this starts off. Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on toward maturity. You see, there's a quest. There's a journey. There's there's a, there's a journey that every authentic believer wants to be a part of, and that's in pursuit of Christ Jesus. That's in knowing him more. It's in growing as a believer. It's the process of sanctification, something that the Holy Spirit is doing within us. The Holy Spirit of God sanctifying us and growing us, that is what takes place in the life of an authentic believer in Christ Jesus. The quest would change. And then finally, here's the last one that I have for you. And this is a biggie. One of the things that changes when we come to know Christ is our eternity. Our eternity. You see, before Jesus, the Scriptures teach us that we are eternally separated from God. The Scriptures teach us that we will not spend an eternity in the presence of a holy and righteous God Because as the unredeemed, our sins have not been forgiven. But in Christ Jesus, there's atonement for our sins. In Christ Jesus, there's forgiveness and atonement for our sins. And in Christ Jesus, we are made righteous 
and our relationship is changed. And suddenly, what Jesus does for us is allows God to say to us, Come into my presence. Come into my presence. Spend an eternity with me. And all through the scripture, we see this truth begin to unfold. My friends, as authentic believers in Christ Jesus, we are heaven bound. Amen? We are heaven bound. Heaven bound. For every one of us here today, my prayer is this. Is that we would begin to see the everlasting work of God in our life. You see, here's what I believe. I believe that God is... I believe that God loves each and every one of us in this room here today unconditionally. And I believe that God is pursuing us. I believe that God is chasing after us. I believe that God this morning wants to do something significant in your life. I, I know that God wants to do something powerful in your life. And so this morning, as we sort of wrap up with all of this, I just want to say this. If you're far from God, this morning if God seems distant to you this morning my prayer is that you would allow him to draw you close my prayer is that you would allow God to do an incredible work in your life my prayer this morning is this if you are broken if you are broken and hurting this morning, my prayer is this, is that you would allow God to heal you. That you would allow God to draw you in close. That you would recognize his presence in your life. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing and the church is going to be lifting our voices in praise and adoration. And my prayer this morning for every single one of us is that as God speaks into our heart, as God reveals to us that he desires to change that relationship with each and every one of us, that he desires to sanctify us by his power and his strength, and his glory as God wants to do business in our hearts this morning, that we as a faith family would recognize the unending pursuit of God in our life and that we would respond to him by drawing near. That's my prayer. That we would be in this constant state of putting sin to death in our life. And the one thing that would matter more than anything else in this world is this pursuit of the righteousness of Christ because our minds think differently and our lives have been changed by the power and the blood and the presence of Jesus Christ in our life. That's my prayer. The other night I was listening to some music. I don't really listen to music too much. I know Spence doesn't like that. But I'm just not really the music kind of guy. You know, I'm just, uh, I used to be. But then God changed me <laughs> from rock and roll to, you know, I still like a little rock and roll. Anyway. But I was listening, I was listening to this, to this Christian band they were playing. And it was a David Crowder song titled Come As You Are. Maybe some of you know this song, but 
I've heard that song before many times probably. And as I, as I watch this young band just do this song I, I, and just the worship that was on their heart and I listened to the lyrics, it was so profound to me. And I want to read you just a portion of this song this morning because I think it just reveals the beautiful nature of our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. It reveals to us this morning exactly what God wants to do in this place. And so let's, let's listen to this, and then we will pray and we will respond however God leads. The lyrics go like this. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face. Oh, wanderer, come home, you're not too far. So lay down your hurt and lay down your heart. Come as you are. There is hope for the hopeless and all those who have strayed. Come sit at the table and come taste His grace. There is rest for the weary, a rest that endures. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't cure. Powerful lyrics. Truth about who Jesus is and about what God wants to do in our life this morning. As I pray, I pray that you would consider how you can best respond to what God has spoken in your life. This altar is open. Maybe this morning... Your greatest act of worship is to come to this altar with thanksgiving in your heart, with thankfulness in your heart, to thank God for everything that He has done in your life. You know, if you're anything like me, I probably don't thank God enough. I probably take my salvation and my sanctification for granted. I live my life without truly ever saying, God, thank you for what you have done in my life. And maybe this morning, this is your opportunity to come to this altar or maybe go and speak to one of our pastors and say, you know what, I am so thankful for what God is doing in my life. Or come to this altar and say, God, thank you for what you're doing in my life. Maybe for you this morning, it's a day after living in brokenness for so long that this altar is a place of healing. A place where you can come today and you can pray and you can seek God and you can draw near to Him and He can restore you. All of this is what God wants to do in our life. Maybe for you today, your greatest act of worship is to come to one of our pastors or maybe turn to the person next to you and say, I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. Let us pray. and Then let us respond. As the church who loves Jesus more than anything else, let us thank God for what he has done. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your presence in our life. Thank you, Father, for the work that you have done, for those of us who are redeemed, for those of us who, who know your grace, who have tasted your grace. And God, we live by your grace. Lord, I pray that today the church would say thank you. That we would say thank you, God. And that our prayer, the greatest prayer on, the, on our lips would be, God, continue to grow us, continue to move us, continue to draw us near into your everlasting presence.
we may experience you more. And that we may know the fullness of God that exists for us. God, fill us with your grace. God, for that one that's here today or that two or three that are gathered in this place today that is contemplating whether or not they know you, God, I pray that they would seek answers to their questions. God, that they would allow us to pray with them. Lord, as they recognize you drawing them near. Father, we love you so much and we praise you for this time together. We thank you for this time of worship where we can stand and we can sing with everything that we are. Because you are worthy, you are worthy of our praises. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.